Reporting is Eligible is proudly supported by Appleton Coffee Company. They're a small local roaster in Appleton, Wisconsin, and I make a pot of their Packerland breakfast blend just about every morning. I also have a very large bag of the barrel-aged coffee that I enjoy on the weekends. If you go to appletoncoffee.com and use code RAE at checkout, you'll save yourself 10% and you will support the show. Once again, that's appletoncoffee.com, code RAE at checkout. Wide river, she opens her mouth to the sea. Dear, dear ocean now, here is a kiss from me And she runs like a river to the setting sun She runs like a river that has never been one She runs like a river that will always be free Everybody, welcome to episode twelve of season two of reporting is eligible. I'm Paul Noonan, right for Acme Packing Company, occasionally the Shepherd Express, and uh, we have a, a bit of a, a smaller, smaller contingent today than normal. Matt has gotten caught up in in something in real life, but as always, I have with me. Hey, it's J.R. Radcliffe. I am the trending sports reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, living my best life in uh, in my house in Wauwatosa, <laughs> Wisconsin. Because where else would anybody be at this particular point in time? It's uh, it's just not in the house. Yeah, you know, <laughs> all these jokes about dudes making comments from their basements or their mother's basement. I'm not at my mother's basement because I don't want to endanger my family. But my basement, absolutely, that is pretty much where I live now. Yeah, pretty much the same. I really like my basement, so I'm happy about that. Um, I just filled it up with gadgets and and nonsense, and it's pretty good. Um, happy about that. I, honestly, I just filled up with really. St- Stupid toys. Mine also, so I, many toys in I my got basement. Those too. Um, I, I have old Nintendo games, um, old systems, a projector, and like a bunch of bobblehead dolls. So, um, oh, that reminds me. Uh, <laughs> if you don't listen to the baseball podcast, we we are running another giveaway um, this month. If you sign up at patreon.com slash Milwaukee's tailgate at the $5 level, or if you already signed up on December 15th, I'm giving away three bobbleheads that I got um, that people send to me for promotional reasons. One is of Giannis Antetokounmpo, one is of Christian Yelich, one is of Aaron Rodgers. The three Wisconsin MVPs, they actually all snap together, but I'm breaking them up. So um, if you guys are signed up as of December 15th, I will raffle them off and, and ship them out, and you guys can have a nice little Christmas present. So um, go go and do that, and uh, you know appreciate all your support. Here's what I want for Christmas. I want a bobblehead with the three of them and then music playing We Three Kings. <laughs> that would be awesome. Like when they click together, that should happen. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. Giannis can, ver- he can sing it in Greek, whatever works. But uh, <laughs> I am, I'm here for all of that. Foco, get on that. Um, all right. Well, we, uh, we did have a football game um, <laughs> and uh, it was a little closer than I, I think we all would have liked. <laughs> um, I, 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 on the mini pod, I said this will probably be a blowout. I did raise the issue of the weather because it happened against the Vikings. But man, I thought that they would just annihilate Jacksonville. And while I'm always, I'm happy for any win. I'm glad they escaped with a win. Um, just, it's just one of those that's a little concerning. You know, at the beginning of the season, they just kind of blew the doors off of everybody. And there's been more trouble late, lately. And uh, I don't, I don't care for it. <laughs> I'm sick of trouble. I just want them to. To, to kill everybody again i've decided i don't like close games <laughs> well we didn't yeah you didn't have any of any of those to deal with the joke being that uh one score regression doesn't happen if you don't have any one score games but i feel like this is the yin to the yang of the vikings game you had similar weather conditions same stadium 
thought the Packers were really a player two away from winning that game. I thought that I, I, I think they should have lost this game. And honestly, if Jacksonville were, were even just mediocre as opposed to just really bad in a lot of areas, they dropped some really key passes. Jake Luton was not up for the challenge nope. late in the game when the Packers defense sort of rose up. They were able to harass him when they, they needed to pass. Um, they the, maybe the weather conditions are just more important than the opponent, you know, like this is now the second bad weather showing. And, and we've been talking about this for a while, what you just said that the, the Packers haven't had like a real exciting performance since the saints game, you know, either because their opponent is not up to snuff or because they just haven't like clicked. Yeah. So I'm really waiting to see them, see them get back to that level. And, and, you know, Playing playing against Indianapolis is a chance to do it, but I, I just uh, you know I don't know. Yeah, uh, that game uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later in more depth, but I think that game will be interesting because it is in controlled conditions in a dome. And now I'm kind of curious to see just really what the difference is if they come out and look awesome against a really good defense in perfect conditions. I think it'll tell us a lot about how the team actually is and what they're up for and what they're not up for. And I do think you're right. I think if Gardner Minshew plays in this game instead of Luton, that Jacksonville probably wins it. There were just a few throws that he couldn't make, um, a few escapes he couldn't make. There, there's one in particular. I saw Darnell Savage getting some praise today online for a play where he, really? he was looking in the backfield and then he recovered and managed to break up a pass to DJ Chark. But if you so we had an argument about this in ABC. Some people think that he played it very well and slowed up and got the ball. To me, it looks like just coincidence. Like he caught up. Yeah, dude. He caught up. The ball arrived exactly when he arrived, and so it looked like good pass defense. And that ball is horribly underthrown. If that ball is thrown properly by a proper quarterback, that's a touchdown. A hundred times out of a hundred, there were a lot of plays like that for Jacksonville. <laughs> um, I. The, the wind, I think, is kind of getting stupid, too, because we also, um, Archon especially, crunched some numbers on this, and they were good throwing the ball down the field. Their game plan was way too conservative to deal with the wind, but, you know, Aaron's really good and has a really strong arm, and they, he made a, a plenty of, I mean, he didn't throw the ball down the field enough, but that MVS throw was beautiful, and, um, you know, in a tight window, there were a few other deep passes to MVS that worked really well, a couple good to Devante, uh, that Devonte made them worse than than Aaron did, and I think if they just would have played their their normal game plan and ignored the fact that it was windy, they would have been fine. But they didn't, so um, it, it's not. Jacksonville good. did the same. Th- <laughs> Jacksonville did the same thing, and and that might be because their quarterback wasn't up to the task. But you got to figure when Ke- Kevin King and Jerry Alexander are both out, and you've got a deep threat like DJ Chark, you should be throwing down the field all the time. That play that Savage made is the only play I can think of. I mean, Chark Chark had other catches, but. It's the only play I could think of where they really tried him deep. So it seems like they also didn't you know, test test the waters that way. And I mean, were it not for a kickoff return, I'm, I don't I don't know how their offense. Yeah, their offense is just bad. It's really they, bad. They, it, they had it, and the Packers didn't get really burned by the run. Um, James Robinson had just over 100 yards on 23 carries, but he's he's just a guy. Like, and he was. Uh, they bulked up on him a little bit in the second half. In the first half, he was just mowing them down. He was getting six yards a carry. It looked not like the Dalvin Cook game. That's a special thing, but you know, it's it's concerning when you can't stop the run when the threat at quarterback doesn't exist, and they still still can't do it. Jacksonville's awful. By the way, this counted as a fourth quarter comeback on Aaron Rodgers' fourth quarter comeback stats. The Packers were losing this game when okay. the fourth quarter started. <laughs> That's how close it was. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, and, and then the drive that really made you feel like Packers football was back, that drive that they score on is a thing of beauty. And the touchdown passes 
certainly the thing you remembered especially but like that was finally man they finally hit a groove and that's why you know that's talent just winning out there they finally they, they figured you know it's like they were going to have one of those drives in the game it came late and it's just it's the difference in the game because the packers can do that in jacksonville can't exactly and fortunately that happened with this opponent but uh it, I, it's really concerning for the playoffs in the future that Lambeau, like, I don't think is good for them. I, I really, it, it seems kind of bad. They're just not built for it. Also, the running game hasn't really been good for a couple weeks, and Jacksonville's run defense is better than their pass defense, but everything is better than Jacksonville's pass defense. Uh, but Aaron Jones should have had a better game than that. Uh, Jamal, too. Not that I, I still don't think Jamal's very good, but it's disappointing to, to see even their kind of bad strategy fail because um this isn't a great defensive line by any stretch of the imagination and the packers have had great run blocking almost all season and it's let them down for a few weeks in a row um it, billy turner kind of took a step back in this game this was kind of the game for packers taking a step back um Devante had like a vintage like first two years Devante game with drops and fumbles um and all of the guys that we kind of were questionable on 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 the line did not play like they had been playing the rest of the year which was also just kind of weird to see and makes you kind of wonder if they've maybe been getting a little luckier if somebody figured something out um so uh, I don't, uh, everything will be fixed if they beat indianapolis um on sunday that game is huge but you know more more concerning things here um on the plus side some guys played good too like kenny clark just was a complete monster like the, i think his best game of the year and if He's been working, I know, on his, his work on double teams. They've been trying to scheme him single more often, and he was just a force. And so at least at least there's that. There are some ple- some pleasantries here. Um, Rashawn Gary had a pretty good game, especially late. I do think the defensive line wasn't uh, – the linebackers weren't great until the very end, and everybody's kind of got a good memory because they they really closed the game out. Um, Jacksonville had the ball, could, could maybe come down and take the lead, and Gary and Zedarius um, just rampaged through and sacked them. So that that was good to see. They weren't great the rest of the game, but uh, but Clark was good. The secondary held up well for being banged up. Um, they, they really Adrian Amos, baby. Adrian, Adrian Amos, Amos was very good. Nice. I feel like he's good for like one dominant cover game a year where he picks a bad quarterback off. Uh, hopefully, he gets the Bears a couple more times too. <laughs> since they might not have a quarterback. Yeah. Well, this was the game to do it. The, the secondary depleted. This was the game where they needed Amos to step up. He she and he did. So that's excellent. Um, that was very good. I mean, I. The, the, Pass rush, putting them at fourth and twenty six at the end of the game, giving us uh, a nice little nightmare flashback. So but uh, nerve wracking when random you know, numbers come Luton up. Luton wasn't gonna throw that. <laughs> Luton wasn't gonna throw that ball twenty six yards downfield for a completion, though. It was, yeah. it was, it was a good finish. Good finish to see the defense finish strong. And what's interesting about it now, and Jim Ozarski pointed this out, my colleague at JS Online, um, he pointed out that now with with the, the yardage that they held Jacksonville to was like 240 or 50 yards. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but they're now the, the 10th ranked defense in the NFL. And that's, you know, caveats galore. It's about who you play <laughs> and there's a, any number of ways to rank defenses. And so it's not really a necessarily a true measure, but, you know, I think we've all been operating under the assumption and, and I think still rightfully this defense could be a lot better. You know, we've talked about the coordinator. We've talked about some of the personnel, not having great years, not having, I think they've got playmakers, but maybe not that like cohesive unit still, you know, they're, we're still not seeing the defense have just a straight up dominant game. Although this game was, was fine. And maybe, maybe we, we think of it in, in, maybe we don't quite take into a fact that defenses across the NFL aren't good. You know, like that right now, that is that's just, 
Um, yeah, exactly. So like maybe this is closer to good than we realize because we don't see other teams play as well. That's very possible. So the other thing is, uh, I, I don't really care for yards as the measuring stick of defenses. And the main reason for that is actually pace more than anything else. Um, just there's a lot of teams that play at a lot of different paces. And if you have like an extra two possessions a game, either, you know, whether you're good or bad, it just adds extra yards. But they've shot up DVOA too. They're they're sixteenth uh, overall in DVOA. That's all pass defense. Um, their run defense is still pretty atrocious. But uh, by pass defense, they're they're sixteenth. They're overall they're sixteenth. So uh, that's a uh, like a five point gain from last week, and that adjusts for defenses too. So or, the, or for the quality of the team faced, not for defenses on defense. Um, but they have been getting better. Um, it, it's just it it doesn't seem quite real, I guess. Um, because of the quality of the team, it almost seems like they're undercorrecting for the the crap that they've had to face. And they've had they've had uh, backup quarterbacks for a couple weeks in a row, and that kind of does throw off adjustments because most most people like football outsiders don't adjust for that happening. There's not a really way to do it. Um, you know, everybody knows intuitively that Jake Luton is worse than Gardner Minshew and um, whatever trash Nick Mullins is, uh, Nick Mullins is not Jimmy Garoppolo and. Uh, so you know you you just in your head, but it it still makes for a much easier time out there. Um, and Petten is going to keep his job. Like this is going to keep happening. The the Bears, their starting quarterbacks are bad anyway, but they might be down to Tyler Bray when the the Packers get him for the first time in a few weeks. Um, and and you know they'll be fine if they have to play against Tyler Bray. That won't be a problem. He's uh, he's very 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 bad. He's much worse than Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. So it's nice to have that. I, I just wish I'd we'd get a more clear view of them actually being good. I I do think that one of the reasons I think what's oh, what's concerning about this game is that you can't even you can't even dismiss Tyler Bray because this was Jake Luton and he's not point. not a good athlete. This was his second career start. He's got <laughs> very few playmakers around him. They don't have a defense that you would think could keep him in a game. And, and the Packers should have lost this game. Almost lost this game. So yeah, like they'll be favored, but. I don't know. You see the Vikings game, you see the Jacksonville game, and the Vikings are much better. We've talked about that, but like this is this is a team that really, you know, I hate to say it, they could they could lose to anybody. That's so true. that's uh, that's alarming because you think of this team as a playoff team, and the fact of the matter is they're not like a, a tier one elite team. They're uh, they're they're very good, but they could lose to anybody. <laughs> uh, I do. So I, normally I don't care about quarterback athleticism. I I barely even look at RAS scores for quarterbacks when drafts come out but I do like that you could actually see him be a bad athlete on the field and <laughs> just when he fell over a couple times and you knew like well if he, a better athlete would have picked himself up there and at least gotten a pass off but no he's he's very 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 bad um it, it, that's really he's saved. built like a tank he's got that yeah. going for him he's it, a big dude yep it did really save the game for them like Luton was really the key player in this game with with, with any competent quarterbacking and Chark and um and keelan cole this offense scores a lot more points um thank goodness they didn't have that now there were some flukes that went against the packers too like Devonte is not going to fumble most of the time it, that's very rare and then um it, both actually fumbling the ball and losing the fumble are both bad luck that that pick rogers threw like i'm not going to say it was luck because it was just a baffling terrible throw it's on him and his fault it's just weird to have it happen against the worst pass defense in football and you know nine times out of ten he probably plays a clean game against him so you got you have those couple things but still they should they should annihilate this team even with mistakes so 
Yeah, there's a holding call on the Devonte Adams touchdown right before half. That could have really put the moment, like that could have tipped the scale all the way. Totally, into the, you know. bad, bad officiated game, very poorly officiated game. Yeah. Lots of weird calls and weird stuff going on. Um, you no, know, we've stumped for this before, and it it really benefits the Packers in this game more than the you know more than the Jaguars. But uh, holding can't be ten yards. It just cannot be a ten yard <laughs> penalty. And and the Packers get bailed out, of course, twice on holding calls on touchdowns. I mean, they, they would still negate the touchdown, and that's fine. But like ten yards is a drive killer for a penalty that I want to say fifty percent of the time is highly debatable as as adjudicated. I mean, I really think. You're, you, I really think it's just like, it's it's just blind luck, you know. Did the ref see it and did they call, call it correctly on holding? It's lucky. It should not be a ten yard penalty. It should be a five yard penalty. Maybe somehow you distinguish between holds that contribute to the success of the play versus holds that don't. I mean, you never would do that, but like, <laughs> we we've got to we've got to move on from this ten yards a crack for a holding penalty. It's just too much. Yeah, for a penalty that ha- happens basically every play and is so open to interpretation by officials that plus pass interference gives refs way too much power and it's like it's not like they're doing anything on purpose to rig games or anything like that it right. just of course not it's just there are judgment calls that that are drive enders or or drive continuers in the case of pass interference uh, i mean it, you can almost one of your best plays on third and long or fourth and long is is just to throw into a contested window a lot of the time um because you might get bailed out it, it it's it. Yeah, I agree with you. It should be way, way less punitive on holding. Uh, also goes unnoticed. Everybody kind of notices pass interference when it happens. Like it's a big deal. Um, we always have the arguments online about whether it should be a spot foul or fifteen yards. Holding's like this just secret, um, terrible call that just is essentially a turnover. Not quite. It's like eighty percent of a turnover, um, which is ridiculous for something that can just be called literally anytime a ref wants to call it. it happened way too much in this game. Um, uh, the other thing that worked against the Packers in this game is they had a weird game plan. Um, they the wind played a part of it, but they they had almost no play action. I I went and watched it again looking for it. Um, it depends on how you want to categorize an RPO sometimes, but they basically ran no under center play action, which they they do pretty much all the time. And a little bit of a pattern here, um, they. This is very similar to the game they played against San Diego last year, whatever, Los Angeles now, <laughs> um, where uh, in that game, they, they ran out of shotgun for every single passing play, which they didn't do the entire rest of the year. And I feel like he almost has a different playbook for their AFC games for some reason. I don't know if it's lack of familiarity with the teams or not wanting to put stuff on tape versus in games that don't matter that much and they might not run into late. I, honestly, no idea. But um, the it seems like now kind of a pattern of weird game plans against um, out-of-conference opponents, and it's weird and annoying. Um, they also ran all these little RPO smoke screens all day long um, to Devante, right off the line of scrimmage. They lost a ton of EPA on all of them. Uh, only one worked, which was a very nice play to MBS, but the reason it worked is because nobody covered him. The Jacksonville just didn't run a guy out on him, and Aaron checked to it, which is great. Like, that's that's fine. Uh, if you want to check to throwing to the uncovered guy, do that all day. But these little off-the-line plays to Devontae, where he doesn't run a route, is just a waste of Devontae, and it never works. At, like, it's one thing if it would, like, work, like, you know, every three or four times, where you'd be like, okay, fine, I can see why they're successful with it, they keep doing it. But it, like, never works. And he's best... He's the best player in the league at running routes, and you run this thing to him where he doesn't run a route. It makes no sense. Um, it, frustrating game plan. Not really why it was. I mean, partially why it was close, but um, a weird Lafleur game. Very one-off. For, 
Fortunately, on the go-ahead touchdown, they run both play action and get Devontae running a good route to uh, to catch the winning on on a bulky ankle, no less, going yep. up to get it. So, uh, so they 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 pulled out the stop when they needed it, I guess. They did, and they had an okay offensive game. Like when you look back at it, Aaron's numbers look pretty good. Um, you know, he it's over three hundred yards passing, pretty efficient. That pick stands out, but um, you know, by and large, a bad Aaron day is still going to be better than most quarterbacks. Uh, on their good days, certainly Jake Luton. So it, it all worked out okay. And MVS also kind of, this is the one thing that went kind of according to plan. Jacksonville's defense is league worst, but it's especially league worst against not your number one receiver. They're awful against everybody um, in the back end of the receiving core and running backs and tight ends. So this is a game where you kind of need your number two receiver, number three receiver to step up. And he actually did it. Yeah, <laughs> He, he kind of had the MVS game where he still had a couple of couple of drops and weird things happen. But he caught his deep pass and he caught a few other really important passes. Um, he shot up the DVOA charts to almost average based on this game. <laughs> so good, good for All MVS. Right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we also we do need to take into account that Devonte Adams and you referred to this earlier did not start guns a blazing in nope. his career. He had two really rocky years, so it is possible still that MVS could become a, a, a number two receiver. And I mean, they get Alan Lazard back next week, so they're going to have another option to go to. I think Aaron's you know constant trust in MVS shows that he's doing the right things to keep getting the football. We did not see that last year, so. Uh, I don't know. There's, there's definitely, I, I, I'm open to, to seeing, you know, seeing the signs here. I mean, that's a couple games in a row where MBS has looked like a legitimate number two receiver. So that's, that's okay. Yep. He has, he's put up at least the stats for it. I will say on that bomb, it was, it, it, I'm going to just nitpick MBS until the day he dies, I think. But um, <laughs> I, I was, so he, he caught that ball on the outside um, and he had the, so he did a good job on his cornerback, and he got him totally guessing and un, un like not knowing where he was going to go. And I think ninety percent of receivers would have cut back inside there and turned that guy completely around. And it, instead, he just sprinted by him on the outside, which is fine. It worked fine because he's super fast. But it was just very unexpected. Like I was expecting to see this one thing, like okay, stop, cut back over the middle, especially since he ended up on the other side of the field anyway. And he didn't. He just out sprinted him, which is a very MVS thing to do. So. Uh, it, it used to uh, used his blockers though, including the guy in stripes. He did once he had the ball in his hands. He did a great job, and uh, that poor official <laughs> that looked painful. It's uh, beautiful. Yeah, this whole game felt like it, it. It it wasn't muddy, but it looked like it was played in mud. You know, you had two offenses that just weren't clicking. Drop passes, even the bomb felt like it was just a slowly developing <laughs> play. I, I don't really, I can't really explain that. That just might be my perception. He almost, but dropped uh, it, it just too. felt he was like so this close game to dropping it. <laughs> no, just felt like this game was just played in the played in mud. Couple, a lot of a lot of things stuck in neutral. It felt like, yeah. Oh, agreed. I'm, well, I'm, I'm glad they get Lazard back next week. I think that is also going to be a huge help to the offense. At that plus, uh, I was kind of down on them a little bit for this game. I still thought they'd win because Jacksonville is just awful. Um, I, I don't know if they're going to be dogs yet. Wish we had Matub here to actually check the line on it. But I'll bet they're underdogs. And I think I'm. Oh gonna, yeah. I think I'm. Right? Gonna, they have to. I would think they'd have to be. Um, that defense is very good. Um, but. I'm gonna pick him this week. I think Lazard plus being on a in on turf in Lucas Oil is going to make that offense kind of unstoppable, even for a good defense. So I'm pretty optimistic for that. I'm I'm looking forward to it a lot. Um, last thing I did want to mention right oh. right now, uh, spread that I see here, 
is this FanDuel? I don't even know who they're who they're using here. It's two and a half points favor Indianapolis favored two and a half. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, yeah, fifty one for the for the for the combined thing. I I I agree with you completely though. I I'm going. I, I, it's easy for me to say now. I did not feel super comfortable going into the Jacksonville game, not because paper told you one thing. It just. I don't know. Like I just, I, I have yet to buy in fully, and I felt like there were too many elements in play between the weather and just the the obvious they should crush this team thing that just had me hung up a little bit. But I, I think they're going to win in Indianapolis. I think they're going to look really good, and I think it's going to feel really, you know, feel like this team has turned a corner. That's uh, that's what I'm seeing coming up this weekend. Yep, I bet I'm on the same page as you for sure. Before we get to that, we should also mention um, the Packers in the middle of the game announced. In this- <laughs> Announced an extension. They extended David Bakhtiari um, for uh, it's a four season total extension um, due to salary cap shenanigans. Their cap's only going to go up one point five million this year. They actually still have five million dollars this year to um, do other extensions should they want to. Um, and next year they they're expected to convert his roster bonus. I'm getting his totals up right now. Um, uh, into a signing bonus, which allows them to to then spread it out over the life of the contract. Um, basically, it's a rust ball special where they um, are not severely cap penalized for doing this at all, which is what the Packers are, I think, best at in the league, and get to hold on to the best left tackle in football for quite a while still. So, I would tell you, the- right, why is rust ball so? Just give me a little primer why he's so good at this. Because isn't it just math? It's how you define the certain buckets of money that things are getting put into. How is it the Packers seem to have an edge in in the salary cap shenanigans? Ah, uh, that's a good question because um, Russ is really good at these. I don't think they really pay people less in the grand scheme of things. Uh, maybe like a, a little bit. So I think he's a good negotiator, but mostly this is just about constructing looking forward and uh, honestly also discipline on not giving other people big contracts and that's probably the secret to rust ball more than anything else is they're good at getting team-friendly contracts um for their own guys before they hit free agency and they're i think good at reading the market and what people would get in free agency versus what'll sound good to the player now um they're really good at selling you on okay uh for the rest of the season you make this if you do this deal you'll make Eight million times that, but then down the road, you know that person will make less. I think they're good at selling the years that eventually may get cut, um, and uh, I, I think they just kind of excel on all facets of that. The the selling the you will win now, you will get a huge chunk of change right now. And hey, you know uh, there's something to be said for the fact that yeah, we're gonna put this in here. If you're still super awesome, you'll make this fifteen million dollars. This is the NFL. If you're not, then you'll be go out and free agent and you know maybe get less than that. But, you know, uh, uh, you'll still get paid a lot. So take your money up front. Later, worst case scenario, you get free agency or you get this contract that we normally wouldn't pay because you're super great. And um, uh, But most of it, I think, is that the Packers just deal with their own people. And when you do deal with your own people outside of a market structure where they can tell what they would be getting otherwise, it's easier to kind of rip people off before they know what they're worth because the, <laughs> inform- the Packers have a lot more information and a lot more people working on projecting um, you know, what people will be paid in the future than a player and his agent do. They, they have access to the entire league database of that. They can they can collude just like baseball can, not just like it, but rest assured they do. They don't have the same antitrust exemption, but um, they all they all know the score. So um, it's most of it is the fact that the Packers just don't sign normal free agents that much. Uh, and you're going to always look better 
dealing with your own guys than you are when you're bidding against other people. So it's a little bit of a smokescreen. A bit. You of don't a- think. You don't think though that Bakhtiari got ripped off here. He's the he's the he's now the, the richest tackle in the NFL, right? He so it, that's I think kind of the key of doing these things in season, mid season, and having that leftover cap space to use to spread things out. And I would tell you what his deal is right now, but uh, spot track and Cots contracts and whatever else uh, over the cap are not working for me right now on my computer. Um, <laughs> but I don't think he's got. So this is why they're good. Um, He's getting paid between free agent classes right now. So he's making more than any other tackle that got paid last offseason. Uh, that is true. But if you waited till the end of the year to do this deal and could see what other tackles are going to get paid in that offseason with inflation and TV money and the normal NFL increases. I mean, we might not have that this year because of uh, COVID, but... Um, if you waited till the end of the season, the baseline would probably be higher. I mean, most of the guys on the Packers who are the highest paid exit their position are no longer the highest paid exit their position um, three months later when real free agency comes about. It usually doesn't happen. Even happened with Aaron. Like, he got passed up almost instantly when he got his new contract. So, uh, I mean, it's it's not like he's ripped off. He's a rich man. He's the highest, It's factual. He's the highest paid tackle. But they're just excellent at um, at fitting this into their cap, at using every machination available to spread things out, and to make what they need to make um, cuttable as soon as possible. That's what they're, I think, best at more than anything. So it's a good. It's not. It's All not, right. So you mentioned off. he was fine, but <laughs> so you mentioned that they don't give out a lot of big contracts, but now they will have Bakhtiari, Zadarius Smith, and Aaron Rodgers on pretty good contracts for next year. Um, Aaron Jones is obviously the first question we ask here if yeah. this changes what their approach is going to be. And uh, just in general, after that, like Devontae Adams is not far off from needing a new deal. And, you know, we already think that Preston Smith will probably be a, a cap casualty next season. I mean, I don't I don't know what this says about are they going to are they giving up on Aaron Jones as a, as a long term deal here? Is this, is this the end of that? I, I will be shocked if they give him a deal. I, Metta might disagree with me if he was here, but. Uh, I think the easiest place for any savvy team to cut salary is that running back position. And I, I just, I, I think that they're more aligned with me on this, that they're not going to give big money to that position kind of no matter what. So I bet Jones is kind of gone. I think that they have other things they need to spend on. And if it contracts, especially like they're going to need money more than anything else. So uh, Corey Lindsley's up pretty soon. I would prioritize him. Um, like uh, I bet Kevin King's not back. Uh, there's just so hey. many. There's so many guys. That, like it's so hard to keep a team together. <laughs> um, yeah. Like there's a lot of obvious. Like I do think Preston will be gone. He'll get June first of next year. He's maybe he'll have a great second half. Who knows? But I kind of doubt it. But he's an easy place to save money. I think they'll move on from King. Um, I think they'll move on from Lane Taylor. I think he's a free agent as well. Um, but. Uh, it's just hard to see them deciding that Jones is that valuable given how what the league thinks of running backs. Given that he, he is run, his receiving has kind of gone downhill a little bit this year too. He made such great strides last year, and he has not hauled stuff in. Like I think Matt mentioned last week, maybe it was you, that he hadn't caught like a deep circle route um, all season so far. <laughs> I think that's still true. Um, and he, he's had a few bad games in a row, and I know Dylan's not impressed yet. But uh, you know what? You can get in three or four or five running backs either via draft or UDFA 
And odds are always good that one or two of them is going to work out. It just happens to James Robinson, who the Packers just played against, is an undrafted free agent from last year and had a fairly nice 23-carry, 106-yard performance against the Packers. It's just not that hard to find. Yeah. So they're not so going to play with somebody else. Why, here, here are the things that give me pause. So A.J. Dillon is, is at the heart of it. One is that they drafted him in the second round. If they believe they're moving on from Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, it seems like that's the obvious heir apparent, and he has not he has not played to a level that you think that's possible yet. Uh, and more than that, just them drafting him in the second round tells me that they value running backs a little bit more than maybe you or I do. Which is a fair point, because, yeah, you're right about that. Um, which makes me think if he doesn't work out, maybe they are a little bit more prone to giving money to either Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams. Maybe they choose Jamal Williams. I, I don't I don't know, but like they're they're not the Jaguars. They're not going to come in with a UDFA as their starting running back next year. You know, they're going to address that position in some way, shape, or form. And and I just feel confident saying that because they just took a guy in the second round. That's a good point. That does really show that they do not align with <laughs> what I think because they did take a guy <laughs> in the second round. Um and uh all, but uh, that does work against it, too, because they do have that guy on a cheap salary, and they must believe in him somewhat. Um, so they also don't carry that many running backs. They have three active at any given time, and uh, it's, it's it's still pretty easy to replace. But I still think Aaron Jones is going to get paid kind of a lot. There's enough teams out there that really do like that skill set, and I don't think, no, even if the Packers want to match it, they're going to be in a tough spot to do it and still sign people that they need more than that i think that's kind of what it comes down to for me if he, maybe if he if he has a not great season uh, it might actually increase the chances that he comes back especially receiving um right now he is not on pace for a good receiving season and that may be more key than anything else in terms of their ability to keep him if he turns into a kind of a one-trick pony um uh, just on the ground and they rely on or can rely on like a jamal williams type or somebody else to go through the air that might make more economic sense than um, anything. So uh, if you want to keep Aaron Jones, that's probably the thing to root for <laughs> is, is to have him catch fewer passes. Um, but uh, uh, I still think he'll, he's got the track record where he's going to make a ton. Um, uh, it, it's going to be tough for everybody though. Like this may be similar to baseball where it's just hard to actually tell what anybody's going to make um, it, this for, like nobody's going to want to spend a whole bunch of money. Um, revenue's been the NFL is still very rich. It's all TV contracts, but it's not like having no gate revenue is good for teams. And, you know, owners are going to seize on any excuse to not spend as much as they did before to make the cap as low as possible. Maybe people will be bargains. Maybe that gets a few people back that we normally wouldn't see come back. But uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I still, if I'm, I'm going to bet against running backs not coming back um, every time, especially if they're getting like top five running back money. Do you think David Bakhtiari is a Hall of Famer? Uh, the thing is, the tackles, like offensive linemen just don't make the Hall of Fame that much. It's uh, it's not fair. And I think that he has played a, so far, Hall of Fame-worthy first half of his career. Not even first half, first third. And I think he's athletic enough that he will probably decline fairly gracefully. So uh, I don't think he'll make the Hall of Fame because I would never bet on any offensive lineman making the Hall of Fame. But I think Joe he, Thomas, Brookfield's yeah, own. I, I will say I think that when it's all said and done, that David Bakhtiari will be will have had as good a career as Joe Thomas, and so I think he will be Hall of Fame worthy. He's um, he does everything well. Um, they they lead in pass 
pass block win rate and run block win rate, and he barely allows any sacks. He's super fast and strong. Like that guy's great. So uh, I think he's a Hall of Fame caliber player. I think we need a picture of him hoisting a Lombardi Trophy, or at least getting to that game. Not yeah. not that that has that's completely unfair, but. That's a huge not. I mean, Joe Thomas is, you know, never went to the playoffs. Like he's regarded as one of the greats in the game, but you know, he he's, he's just so beyond reproach. I think if David Bakhtiari is, you know, you got a picture of him holding up the Lombardi trophy. I think that becomes a visual that you can associate with his career. And, you know, then you remember, Oh yeah, he was like the, the, the guy who kept Aaron Rodgers upright for all those years when they went to two NFC championship games and then another, and then a Super Bowl. you know, like that would, uh, I think that would play. I think that, it's probably true. He probably needs an OL ring. Joe Thomas had the benefit, the benefit. So it's bad to play for the Browns, but it's an, also an obvious excuse when you play for the Browns for your whole career because everybody knows they're just poorly run, poorly quarterbacked. The other problem Bakhtiari's going to have is that Rodgers runs himself into so many sacks that aren't the offensive line's fault. But when you have normal Hall of Fame voters looking at that, it's going to work against him, um, even if it's not fair. Sure. Which is un- really unfortunate. It's one of the things that analytics is, has learned and is pretty confident about at this point that most sacks are the fault of the quarterback when they're not it's very easy to tell it's a guy rushing right through the middle um and aaron Rodgers is among the league leaders in guys who take sacks he, he just does it you know it's a blessing and a curse he, he buys time he hits big plays but he takes a lot of hits so. not let's uh, look briefly at indy here Speaking of, uh, we were talking about running backs. There's a running back in Indianapolis that people are paying attention to. <laughs> Badgers great Jonathan Taylor in his rookie season, but uh, you're pointing out he hasn't he hasn't really popped here. He's uh, their second round draft pick has not really popped in the uh, you know the first games of his career. He hasn't. It's very surprising. So don't take running backs in the second round, even if you like them. And they're from Wisconsin. So, um, he, he was he's maybe the best prospect ever to come out of Wisconsin. Um, when we're scouting running backs, there's a thing, uh, there's like spark and speed score and all these things that basically combine how big you are with how fast you are. And no bigger back has ever been faster than Jonathan Taylor. Usually it's not a sure thing. There's been bad guys before, but usually it's a very strong indicator that you're going to have NFL success. And, you know, it's early, um, but he's showing a lot of the problems that he did have in college so far. Um, that speed is not showing up to help him their line's not great it's okay um so that that hurts taylor right there and the hands have really not helped him as well he lost a fumble last week um he has not been a great receiver he's been okay but um it was a concern with him coming out of school and it's hard to scout guys coming out of school who don't play in like pass to the running back offenses which wisconsin does not Uh, you can't really tell if they're going to be good or not but uh, Taylor's fumbling plus, um, you know, his, his passing game lack of work, I think is working against him here. So um, I still think he's a, a, a really good player. He's a great athlete. And if he gets behind a decent line and can work into the secondary a little more, he'll be fine. But uh, not a great fit for them right now. And he started to lose carries to Naheem Hines, who is more of a, the receiving back for that team. And he played quite a bit last week. Um, and I expect that we'll see more of Hines against the Packers than we do Taylor, especially given the Packers' problems with pass-catching running backs. It's one of their huge, spe- huge weaknesses. Speaking of pass-catchers, uh, another uh, another one that we that Packers fans can lament, the crowd, uh, perhaps us included, who uh, are mad that they did not <laughs> draft a receiver with, uh, with their first pick. Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, kind of had a slow start because he was injured to start the year, but uh, he's been... He's been pretty good for them, and you know they're 
they're they're all about defense, but uh, but they do have some weapons on offense. They do, and a lot of young receivers, um, and a lot of unproven guys. But I th- I think Mike Pittman Jr. was the receiver I saw mocked to the Packers the most. Um, he was kind of right in the spot where they were set to pick, and he went just a few picks after they drafted Love, so he was actually available. Um, consensus was he would have been a bit of a reach where they picked Love, um, but. He it, so he hasn't been he hasn't been like Justin Jefferson this year um, or like the really top guys, um, but he he was on IR for three months so he missed all of October and he's really just come on the last couple games but he's coming off his first 100 yard performance. He had a really good performance the week before that, not a ton of yards but 14 yards per catch and hauled in everything. And he, you know it takes receivers a little bit to get going. He looks like he's starting to get going and if he's not their number one by the end of the year, I will be very surprised. So. I wish we had him. Like I wish we've had every single rookie receiver we've played against this year. Um, he looks he looks really good, um, and he was one of the bigger athletic freaks of this class too. So, um, a guy that you would like to have in that MVS role. I think uh, when when the Packers played Tampa Bay, I, I mean, I think most people had at least heard of Levante David. Maybe they'd heard of Devin White, but I feel like that was. Definitely, the moment the Packers fans became aware that those guys were a problem, and now Indianapolis kind of has. Darius Leonard, that might be that might be the name everyone is learning this week. You know, you mentioned on the rundown a few guys. Justin Houston, people may wonder where he went, not with the Chiefs anymore, but he's here. <laughs> Danico Autry, Xavier Rhodes. I mean, there's there's a couple couple blasts from the past, but uh, um, you know, Indianapolis has some things that should be able to slow down the Packers. Unfortunately, yeah, they do. They're they're very similar to the Buccaneers in construction. They're they have very fast linebackers, which you don't find all over the place. Uh, and it's going to be hard to run against him, and it's going to be hard to hit underneath stuff against him, much like when the 49ers are good, much like the Buccaneers. Um, I actually, Danico Autry, I don't know much about. I just was looking and scouting. He leads them in sacks, which I'm very surprised at. <laughs> he's got six. Um, with Darius Leonard, it's great. And he's been great for um, eh, a kind of a long time now, um, at least some. Uh, and Justin Houston, maybe the best chief defender of the last couple of years as well. So. Um, they really are a great defensive team. Um, they're one of the few that's good at run and pass defense, and that's never a good sign um, when the Packers go against a team because they do like to. They usually do like to pick a short game, pick on linebackers, and you just can't do that against this team. This is a a team that begs to be attacked deep. Um, Xavier Rhodes uh, is having a great season. I actually think he is hurt. I got to check his health. But he's one of these guys um, that is vulnerable deep. He's good at playing the ball in front of him. He is very susceptible to deep passes. That's where they're weak. So we'll see if Matty uh, can actually dial up a, a deep game plan what, like he should have had against Tampa and like he should have had against San Francisco um, instead of getting tackled to death underneath. I really hope he does. This will, this will be a good test. So I'm, l- I'm looking forward to seeing the chess match. Old Man Rivers will throw a few picks here and there too. It would be nice if they could get a get a takeaway or two. Yeah, that might really be the key, uh, especially if, if – if we have uh, Jair Alexander back, that's probably the biggest thing to keep an eye on. Kevin King would be nice to have back too, but um, you know everybody I think kind of knows Philip Rivers at this point. Um, he has always been turnover prone, even in his great days. But he's a, he's not quite washed up yet. But he's much more of a game manager, and if you can make him throw you know, thirty plus times a game, he'll probably give you a couple of opportunities to pick him off. Um, that's really the key to beating them, and that's when they've gotten beaten. Yeah, actually. Um, very similar to how the Saints beat the Buccaneers by picking t- Tom Brady off a couple times and beating him up. If you can get a good pass rush on Phil and make him uh, throw under duress, he- he's not mobile. He's one of the, the slowest quarterbacks in football. Um, that's your best bet to knock this team off. So um, 
hopefully the end of the Jacksonville game carries over into this game where where they can just take the ball away and make it easy on us. Just had a flashback to a game uh, at Lambeau. Phillip Rivers, the Chargers, ended at the very last second. Demarius Randall, I believe, made a diving deflection on a what could have been a touchdown that would have given the, the Chargers the win in the final seconds and saved the game for the Packers. I don't remember what year that was. That maybe it's five, six years ago. I don't know. But uh, that sounds just uh, as you were talking about Phillip Rivers. I do remember that game and I remember that play happening. I feel like they play the Chargers kind of a lot, actually. Um, and I do recall that uh, Demarius Randall actually, I actually kind of liked until it became clear that he was a, a weird dude in a kind of locker room cancer. Uh, and he was kind of yeah. all over that. Um, he, he was a very, he was a ball hawk. He was the only good player out of that draft. Um, and uh, it, it, the one thing we have going for in this game is the last two times we played Phillip Rivers on the Chargers, we've had just uh, a trash farm of bad cornerbacks. Like the Ladarius Gunter error era, the uh, you know the Quentin Rollins era. So this is the best secondary they'll be going at Rivers with. And so I do think there's a good chance they'll turn them over a couple times. So at least we have that. Let's do some questions, shall yeah, we? Let's do it. Let's do questions. Patreon questions. We'll start with Asilatam. Uh, this is something we've already sort of hit on, but yeah. I'll, I'll read the question. Speaking of domes, it seems like this year the weather, specifically the wind, is affecting more games at the field level and not just the punts and field goals. Um, has the lack of fans and the heat they generate, the temperature kind, not the wrestling kind, <laughs> created a different microclimate within the outdoor stadiums that allows for this? I mean, some of that is stuff we can't answer. We're not there, just like <laughs> most people only. aren't there. Um, um, I mean, it does. It does seem to have created at least... I don't know what the I home away splits like the, are this year. Yeah, I kind of like the theory. I do wonder about the wind. Uh, having all those bodies probably matters. Like, it, you know, they get in the way mm-hmm. of wind blowing in. They do change the temperature of the stadium. Uh, it probably, I don't know how it matters, but it probably does matter. It, I, have we, we've never heard the wind mentioned this much as a factor in football games. So, I mean, it does seem like it's a, a new thing. Uh, there's been plenty of bad weather games at Lambeau. Um, we've heard rain, we've heard snow, freezing cold. I don't remember this many games being impacted by gale force winds. So I'm guessing that not having fans <laughs> is having some effect because it's weird. Like this is bizarre. What have you ever cared about the Packers playing in a wind before? Like n- never. It's it's not a thing. ever. So I mean, it's entirely possible. Low key. Okay, big moment in this game. A couple of them. Mason Crosby came kind of close to missing a point after, and also the field. One of his field goals was, uh, you know, sort of barely negotiated through. Those are big moments because uh, obviously, obviously finishes twenty four twenty. So big stuff right there. Honestly, good work by Mason Crosby. Very good work by Mason Crosby in very apparently bad conditions. Um, a good kicking game all around, except for J.K. J.K. Not uh, J.K. Scott might not be good in cold weather. This seems to be a recurring thing with him, and he almost cost them the game. <laughs> that uh, that last thirty-yard punt was very, very bad, very ill-timed. Um, so um, I know that he, you know, there's obviously the play where uh, Keelan Cole made him look silly and turned him into a uh, meme, where he got not, a little bit of heat. Yeah, not as much his fault. Um, it there was a um, who who was it? Uh, who's it? Pat McAfee? Um, commented almost immediately on that because he was sick of punters getting yelled at for outkicking their coverage and just had a really nice screenshot of five Packer defenders 
all in a vertical line on the field, like with no no gap. Same to, lane, man. Same lane. Just all taking the same lane. And um, you know, it's the easiest punt return you'll ever have when that happens. So um, bad job by the special teams. Very vintage Packers special teams play, actually, <laughs> with uh, with Mason being great and coverage being atrocious and J.K. Scott not being good in cold weather. So ho- hopefully that's not a recurring yeah, I like- theme. <laughs> like jk scott but i don't i don't think he's it i think he might uh his job is in a little bit of jeopardy i think i think so too um i um i'm never like i never like when you draft punters generally speaking and i'll always hold it against you which is not fair um but uh he really seems to to hurt them um especially in cold weather in very high leverage situations fairly regularly (laughs) which is the worst thing you can do when you're a punter like just kick it far man just that's all curse of craig hendrick lingers uh brian polakowski's got two questions i'm going to read them they're, they're not related but uh, i'll just i'll just hit them both here is the first part very good question yeah. is montravius adams really the worst of our defensive linemen to see only 14 plays to lancaster's 22 or lowry's 39 good question yes his second question is is there anything matt lafleur can do with his scheme to help the offensive line get some push to open up more holes for the running game so brian He's a man after my heart asking about the big fellas on both sides of the football. I don't understand why Montrevious that because because look at what Jacksonville was doing with their running game. Yep. Like if you've got a five nine running back putting the you know, carrying the ball through the line, get Montrevious Adams in there to plug up some gaps, right? Exactly. I, he is definitely not the worst. And this is definitely a patent thing. For, first of all, Montrevious Adams, not great, but certainly better against the run than anybody else on that line. Lancaster, um, Kenny Clark, first of all, Kenny Clark is the best at all things, so we're not we're not considering him. He gets taken out. Um, Montrevious, after that, best run defender. Lancaster, next best run defender. Dean Lowry playing 39 snaps in the wind against that quarterback is pointless. He's, first of all, not had a good pass rushing year for a year and a half anyway. And he brings nothing to the table. Like Montrevious isn't good, but he's good at something. Um, he's <laughs> and the Packers struggle with it. And struggled with it this game. Um, the, the the Cook game was the weirdest, where he played only six snaps and then kind of rebounded the next week to actually get a decent amount. But I don't know what Pettin's rhyme or reason is with Montrevious playing time. The obvious thing to do is if they're getting run on, put him in. But he doesn't do that. It just seems to make no sense at all. So maybe there's off the field stuff with him. Maybe there's something we don't know. But I can't conceive of a reason to have Lowry out there versus him. Uh, Lancaster, same story. Lancaster, not the best pass rushing guy, but at least he is a good run anchor. He takes up space. He's a good hustle guy. Uh, like I'll, I'll give him that. He's, um, he was looking for plays to make after he finished his assignment a few times and stood out. So I like high motor guys. Everybody likes high motor guys. Um, it's, it's a weird rotation. I. I I don't. This is one of those things where I just think Patton's kind of crazy. He likes his pass defense. Lowry's his pass defense guy, and he's going to leave him out there, kind of no matter what. I was going to say until it costs him, but no, well past that, way, way, way past when it costs sure. him. Um, as to let's see, question question two. Um, yeah, the offensive line. Like this is the first game I've noticed them not getting any sort of push. I mean, you mentioned the offensive line didn't have a great game. This is the first time it felt like the running game just was was stopped cold. Yeah, at the it line was, it was very it was weird, really bad, and it, um, stopped cold. This I think also goes into a lot of the lack of creativity in this game. And yeah, there are things he could do, and he usually does them. Uh, like all of those jet sweeps to get guys running laterally and then hitting them up the middle. Um, oh, pre-snap motion to get guys. Paul Chris has entered the chat. Yeah, seriously, Paul Chris called a great oh. game against Michigan. I mean, not that um, not that beating Michigan is apparently that hard this year, but um, 
Uh, you, have, you have no healthy running backs? Just run jet sweeps all game or reverses. Um, that game. And he said that. He's like, <laughs> he was asked, why did you keep going back to that play? And he said, because it was working. It like Nobody stopped it. Honestly, I think he just was like, wow, they, I'm going to run it until they stop it. Andy Schaff, I think, even mentioned it on Twitter. He's like, he thinks, he thought, he's like, I think Paul Chris might actually be offended that they can't stop the jet sweep, <laughs> so he's going to keep running it to prove a point. <laughs> that's what he did. Uh, honestly, Jim Harbaugh should have been fired just for that after the game. Like, why didn't you stop the jet sweep the 80th time they ran it against you? <laughs> it worked every time. It, it was did. baffling. It was crazy. But this was the opposite of that. This was a very vanilla game plan, and all of the running plays were um, it kind of telegraphed to some extent. There was no deception. They were very low on pre-snap motion in this game. Um, nothing to confuse defenses. And um, if you're not going to help your guys out like that, it, they're not going to be able to block as well. Uh, they also ran into heavy boxes a few times on third and short, which is just uh, will drive me crazy until the end of time. Just hate doing that, especially with Jamal. Um, but uh, his normal game plan, if Matt Florida turns back to normal next week and brings back all the fun stuff, Brings back play action, brings back motion. Uh, they'll probably be fine. Uh, Billy Turner will probably look good again, and Rick Wagner will probably look good again. So that's really all it takes. This line is a good run blocking line. You just got to put them in a situation where they have the the advantage, the coaching advantage on the people standing in front of them. Just weird. I think you might be onto something with the AFC thinking, which now, even though I just said I think they turn the corner and have a really good game against Indianapolis you know, maybe it is, it is more of the vanilla stuff because they are saving some of their big guns for the games that they've calculated to really matter. Now they might have said to themselves, Jacksonville is a team we should beat 10 times out of 10. Uh, we're not going to do much beyond, you know, we're not going to open up our playbook here at all. Indianapolis may be a different story, but um, yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of I, I can personally understand Jacksonville being like, we're just not going to go that creative here. Yeah, that's possible too. Now I'm sort of talking myself into whether they'll actually bring back the playbook for Indianapolis or not, but uh, they have to see that game as a, at least potential Super Bowl matchup. I would think uh, unlikely, obviously not the favorites. That's the chiefs and a bunch of other teams, but you can't just get steamrolled by them. So that, uh, it, it, anyway, it, it is weird. When they go out of conference, they just seem worse, especially if this is home, but especially when they have to travel. Um, I, I don't have a good explanation for it. I do, I do wonder if they are just better at scheming against the teams that they are more familiar with and that it just takes extra work to get tendencies down for those sort of, you know, those one-off teams on the schedule every year. Like, it's one thing to, you know, you see the 49ers pretty regularly. They seem to play the Seahawks, like, almost every year. They probably know how to deal with those teams pretty well, but um, you know they barely ever play Indianapolis. I can't remember the last time they played Jacksonville. It might just be uh, um, you know a, a more vanilla plan because it takes way more tape study to figure out their tendencies. Like you know, time's limited every week, and there's only so much you can do. And you know they probably yeah. don't care as much Especially about Jacksonville. Now. Yep. Do you want to spend an hour figuring out what Jake Luton's going to do, or do you want to devote that hour to you know indie tape study for the next week? Um, I could see that decision leaning towards Indy. <laughs> yeah, especially now. You just don't get – you don't have as many opportunities to be in person as much and face-to-face and things. Uh, you got you to budget that a little bit. Yep. All right, questions from Twitter. Neil Olson, this is sort of hand-in-hand with what we're talking about. For a oh, seemingly yeah. smart coach, why does LaFleur have a handful of games where offensive game plan is so perplexingly McCarthy-like, <laughs> stubbornly establishing the run? I always have felt like Mike McCarthy – I know this is a criticism of him, but like the games I remember Mike McCarthy is where he abandons – 
the run. You know, my 2010 series, I just did the, I've been working ahead on, on this loss they had in Atlanta during the regular season where they ran like six running plays in the second half. Like at, at worst, he's been both sides of the coin. Like he's gone, gone games where he just completely forgets the run is there. So th- th- I find that part of it weird that th- you know i i realized there were also games where he went to the run too much and uh yeah so you know i think you're kind of you're actually right exactly on this um his so one of the things we track now is situation neutral running and lafleur is really good on this he he uh, passes a lot out of situation neutral stats although um, as archon found this week that's been declining they've been, the packers have actually been running more as time has gone on they started um, as the second highest passing situation neutral team, they're down to 16th. So um, uh, trends not great there for the intelligence of the coaching staff. But Mike was very much um, established the run in neutral situations, and then if they would get in trouble or get behind, he would abandon it at the drop of a hat. So it's sort of like both criticisms were true. Um, the 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 second one though, I, I don't care if he abandons the run. So I, that one never bothered me as much. Um, I, I remember. I remember one of the first things I, I wrote um, at APC was they were playing the uh, they were playing a Lions team that was like the best at stopping the run, like a vintage and um a bunch of thugs team. They were number one against the run, and they it was like a close game the whole way. They lost. They lost like twenty three twenty one, and he had exactly the same number of runs as passes, and he averaged one point eight yards per carry running for the game, and just wouldn't stop running oh. right at suit the whole game. Um, and I wrote a big thing about like this is stupid. You don't be balanced against the. T-. They were also bad at stopping the pass, so even worse. But like that kind of balance always bothered me. He, and he always talked like he wanted balance and didn't really understand what it was for. So I get the mic criticism, but by and large, he was pretty pass heavy, and the league was different then too. For most of Mike's career, the league was more run heavy than it is now, and he did stand out as a a pass heavy guy. So um, that's a. Uh, a little bit of a, an unfair slander on him that he ran too much. He he did and he didn't. Um, but as for why Matt does this, I have no the idea. The point of the question, <laughs> yeah, Matt Lafleur is a guy who likes the running game. Yep, and he's been doing it more. He's, he's got. He's going to come back to it. Yeah, he does. Um, and I don't know why he has these games every week. I like we did our speculation. Might be looking ahead, planning for a different team, holding stuff in reserve. He might. They might not care as much about AFC games. Uh, that's a. I mean, there's so few football games that everyone does matter a lot, even out of conference ones. Um, but I could see them doing some calculations on just, you know, we have to devote these times to the this time to the more important tiebreaker games, and these games will get short shrift, and we'll use them to save injured people, which they also kind of did, um, and go from there. So I, I, I'm not sure, but it's baffling. I would like to see less of them. But part of it also is maybe he's just a young coach and, you know, still kind of figuring out the most efficient ways to do things and run things. It might be as simple as that. Question from Brewers numbers. Other than against pet and bubble screens, seem to seems to me at least to be less and less effective. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> there, there are a lot that seem to work against the Packers. That's frustrating. <laughs> uh, yeah, because Mike Petton has this weird habit of playing guys way too far off the line. Uh, there's so many sh- screenshots of third and twos where he has corners playing 10 yards off the line, which is just giving up a first down. So, yeah, um, but by and large, they're terribly inefficient plays. Um, NFL players, even when we make fun of them for being bad at tackling, people will say things like the league is not as good at tackling as it used to be. Most guys actually are really good at tackling, and bubble screens with no blockers, which is what a bubble screen is, with just space in front of you, 
is is a hard battle for most guys to win. Um, even when Devontae Adams does win them, the the upside's really not there. It's usually a five or six yard gain, and he scampers out of bounds. So um, they're not that effective. Um, it's hard to uh, when you have a guy have a free run and a guy who's got to wait for the ball to get there. It's just a tough play to pull off. Uh, I, I would if we never ran another one again, I'd be happy with it. Now, with the caveat being if somebody's uncovered, then yes, all for it. Like MVS was, that's fine. But they're just they're bad plays. They're looked at, they're they're seen as easy, simple um, five yard chunk plays when the defense is playing off. That's fine if you want to see that as a replacement for the running game, but. You know, that's also a waste of a play that could be a 10 and 15 yard play. I, I, I hate them. They suck. Jonathan deal. Is there actual thing as playing down to competition? Like, is it a stat? Also, <laughs> Matt LaFleur keeps mentioning the Packers lack of energy and lethargy. He says lethargicness, but I believe it's lethargy. Is that on him or the position coaches? Uh, I, I am loath frequently to to bring up effort and yeah. desire and and energy because it usually it, it's it's very difficult to gauge from the outside and it, it usually usually you sort of you you don't you you, you get it wrong it's really easy to get wrong yeah, but is. this is something like he said that Matt Lafleur has brought up a couple times now at home and Aaron Rodgers has talked about it just not having this energy it certainly passes the eye test you know they. They don't seem to have that pizzazz, that zing that you would maybe expect. Uh, maybe not as concerning against a Jaguars team that they <laughs> they knew they were much more talented than, but concerning against a Vikings team that's an interdivision opponent uh, or an inter yeah interdivision opponent. So uh, I I don't know if that's on anyone in particular. I think everybody's still sort of figuring out the environment, but uh, I mean at some point can't can't keep talking about it. You just got to right. do it. It this is a tricky one because I do feel like. Um, teams that look lethargic and don't appear to have gotten up for a game often get taken to task for uh, in, in sort of a moral way as like hey why can't you get up for this game um right. this is obviously important it's your job but this is also something if you think about how you operate in your daily life you really can't control that much you know you can you can try and put on like hype up music you can you know drink a bunch of coffee you can try and imagine something that makes you mad but by and large, you don't really control your mood that much. And there's so much weird about this season. Like, just there's no fans. Um, anything that they're playing in the stadium is going to be weird and hollow. Your life's so disrupted, uh, not being able to do your normal stuff and go out, that if there are guys that are down and have trouble getting up, I kind of understand it. And, um, you know, outside of having like a sports psychologist come in and figure out ways to hype guys up in a bizarre environment. I, I don't really blame them for it. Like, there's not much you can do about it. It it, it it's it is I think a problem. Um, but it's probably one that's shared pretty evenly across the league too. And um, you know, I don't, also don't like to dive into psychology, but it's not the same as effort. And and I think that's the important thing to not confuse here. Like, it, guys are still trying hard. Everybody understands this is their job. Um, it's just you know the routine is very important for all pro athletes. And more in baseball, I think we talk about that a lot. But in football, like everybody. People, these guys have their daily routine of um, getting up and doing their thing and, and getting themselves hyped up, and it's kind of been taken away from them. So um, it's not something that's easy to fix. It's not a, a flipping a switch and saying, go get ex go get more excited, player. Flip, like, <laughs> go get hyped up. That's not how people work. So um, I, I, I believe it. And if anything, it's really kind of on the coaching staff to figure out how to get guys 
more uh, excited, hyped up, and involved. And uh, it's hard. It, this, this is outside of the scope of what they usually have to do. It is usually easy to get hyped up to play a football game and go hit guys for an hour. Um, you know, no fans, no music, no going out to clubs. Like, it, that makes a big difference in your life. So I think that that's probably yeah. most of it. You wonder if if a couple things jump to mind here, sometimes I, I, if you see it more in baseball, we, we are now bringing up baseball. We have to, it's, it's time, part of yeah. a part of the deal. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 some teams are just chill. They're quiet guys. Uh, you, you don't have guys who are outwardly boisterous and, and some teams are different. The last couple of Brewers teams have had really fun, loving, crazy people in the, in the clubhouse. And it has, you know, it, it's, it seems to be the right thing because they have had some success on the field, but now, when there are no fans, I think more than ever, those personalities are important. You know, like if yep. you don't have guys that are firing you up and now throw in the mask situation, that limits what you can do. Like you can't be as loud. Your your face is literally blocked. You can't be as expressive. Um, I don't know how many people are adhering to the mask mandates, but that's something to think about. I do think that's something that's going to strike you more at home than on the road. On the road, you're used to being everybody's against us. We're we've been in the hotel together. Mm -hmm. We're tight. We're ready to to you know come here and steal a game from these guys. At home, you know, you go in there thinking this is my house, this is Lambeau Field, and then that energy never walks through the gates because the fans that you're used to aren't there, and you have to build it yourself. Yeah, and looking at baseball too, one thing I've always bristled against is one of the common things is when you see somebody jogging to first base uh, <laughs> on, on a routine ground ball, they get they get hit with it for for lack of effort or whatever. And in some case, in many cases, I think that's a fair criticism. But I also find myself thinking, look, those are professional athletes. Nine times out of ninety nine times out of a hundred, that play gets made, no matter how fast you run. And yeah, you can force the issue, and maybe maybe somebody throws it away. Maybe you miss an opportunity if you're jogging and lollygagging. The fact of the matter is, you also need to pace yourself. You need to sort of like. There's no point in busting your hump and possibly pulling a hamstring in exactly. some cases if it's a routine grounder to second base, and you're the big burly slugger who you know in game game midway through the season you've had hamstring issues like uh, th these guys are beat up halfway through the season it's, it's a team they should beat they know they should beat what getting up is important of course it is especially in a game of football which is different than baseball where the energy is is a bigger part of what you're doing and a bigger part of success but I, you know, like you said, sometimes it's just human nature to pace yourself and understand that this game isn't the same as playing the Bears for this for the conference championship or division championship, mm -hmm. or being in a playoff game. It's not the same thing. So it's it's difficult to just sort of program that in if it's not if it's just not that great of an opponent. Absolutely. C. Huber, last question. Right. Has analytics tried to quantify the concept of energy <laughs> or coming out flat? There it is. It seems to be a nebulous concept, but does seem to matter to the eye. Is there anything stat-wise that uh, sort of tries to, to encompass this? Not really. It would be so hard to track, and every team's personalities are so different. Um, the, one th the one thing I can speak to on it is that there is a huge interest in quantification of team chemistry. Um I think one of the best resources for this is if you've never read it, um, the only the only rule is it has to work by um, Sam Miller and Ben Lindbergh, which is about baseball, about their short-lived um, opportunity to run an independent league baseball team. They spend most of their time doing chemistry experiments and not really implementing analytics. And I think it's fascinating. Um, they spend a lot of time talking to Russell Carlton, who's pizza cutter on Twitter, who is a, a sabermetric, sabermetrics guy, but also a psychologist, uh, maybe a psychiatrist. I don't want to do Russell short. He might be a doctor. I forget. Um, but um, they talk a ton in that book about 
um, the various ways to go about communicating to professional athletes, motivating professional athletes, and to keep track of, they actually have a, a mood jar and they actually talk about the effect the mood jar has on moods, but they try and actually quantify like they every day they anonymous they anonymously survey all of the players on the team every single day before a game on like how they're feeling in terms of like aggressiveness, excitement, sadness, and then they do try and track their performance to how that's actually going for them. Um, and you know it's small sample size, but they definitely detect large scale mood swings in the, in the team versus um, based on how they're playing at any given moment. Um, you know, make some conclusions based on whether winning and losing is causing those or the result of those. But uh, every team does some of that. And so it's not like they're uninterested in chemistry um, or, you know, quantifying uh, how the locker room impacts performance on the field. Everybody has metrics for that. But outside, it's a black box because we don't get to see any of that. We don't, we're not able to track any of that. It's frankly invasive into players' personal lives to actually do something like that. And teams do it. They have better and more technology to do it. Um, a lot of those COVID um, tracking tools that you've heard about NBA players and NFL players having to wear um, are also usable for that kind of thing. And so that does happen. Um, but that's, I think, always going to remain an internal secret, um, absent leaks and things like that because of just the nature of what it does track. Um, and it's it's a weird thing to um, have to actually make theories around what players' personal lives will do to their on-field performance. Um, I, I feel kind of icky about it. Like to keep those, you know, it's it's separate things. And I know that there's a whole there's a whole segment of sports coverage that is the celebrity of sports and you know players' personal lives and things like that. Um, but I think when you get into assigning you know results, motivation of what that's doing, you're getting into some some weird and kind of creepy stuff. Uh, my my personal thing. Yeah, this is that's going to be a pot of gold that's hard to people might be chasing for a while. I yeah. think that's a, that's just tough. It's just tough. It's human nature. Um, I asked this question at the end of last week: Are the Packers good? They're seven and two. <laughs> they have a very very nice record. They are the number one seed in the NFC if things ended today. Yeah. But who boy did they struggle to beat Jacksonville? And like I said, I'm not sure we've seen them play a game that we can really say was excellent. Up since the Saints game, since some of that's not their fault. You know, the 49ers game is not their fault, but uh, they're good. I think they're good, but they're not much like last year. They're not as good as their record. Um, they're, by the way, their expected win loss, not that this matters that much at this point in the season, is five and three. So, um, Ooh. yeah, I think that's hold on. I should double check that. Wait, 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 wait. That can't be right. Before people five and three or six me. and three because, oh, uh, it's five and a half and three they're, and they're, a half. Sorry. I should. If, you, oh, yeah, if yeah. you're going to round, it's six, but it's five and a half and three and a half. So that's a, in football, that's a fairly significant overperformance. Not that it matters that much, but that defense is troubling. And they're good, but they're not as good as Kansas City. You know, if you're picking, if you want them to win the Super Bowl, um, they're not as good as Kansas City. They're not probably as good as Pittsburgh, who's undefeated. Not as They're not as good as 9 0, but they're very good. Um, I don't think they're as good as the Rams, who have a pretty good offense and a pretty good defense. Um, Tampa, I want to see play more because I think that they may have destroyed their team chemistry, <laughs> and I hope they have. But uh, they're just not well-rounded enough. You know, if they run into a bad matchup in an outdoor game, 
if they run into like Minnesota in the first round, if uh, Minnesota might be able to squeak into the playoffs now. And I think that there are legit good, like nobody wants that game. You don't want the Delvin Cook in Lambeau game part two. That's terrible. And the fact that that's terrible means that they're not that good. So they got, they got to fix that run defense, especially given that they play outdoors in a blizzard most of the time in January. And, uh, until then, they're a second-tier team. You know They're going to rely on getting good matchups in the playoffs to actually get far. And if they run into one of those good AFC teams in the Super Bowl, they're going to get destroyed. Like the Kansas City would annihilate this team right now. So um, yeah, there's work well, to be done. Low-key, I mean, I surely don't think this will happen, but let's say the Packers have a January playoff game at Lambeau Field and the weather is going to be bad, blizzardy, snowy, you know, the type of thing that, you know, most people would live for. But there are no fans. Um, I know that people are optimistic that they're going to be fans at Lambeau Field. They have those signs out in the parking lot that say what the guidelines are. (laughs) But like fans aren't coming to Lambeau Field, guys. Like give up that dream. It's not going to happen in 2020. I hope it happens in 2021, fam. But in 2020, uh, there will be no fans. So I, I just wonder if it's like, whoa, Blizzard incoming. Let's move the playoff game to Detroit or Minnesota if Minnesota's out. You know, like, what's the big deal? There's no fans. So what does it matter? Let's go indoors. And boom, their home field winds up being Ford Field. They wind up going to the Super Bowl. Because I said this last week, like, yeah, they're not as good as the Steelers or Chiefs. I don't care. I want them to go to the Super Bowl. That's all. I don't I, – I'm. I personally – am comforted by that they gotta beat the rams and the buccaneers and you know they like you said the seahawks are a good matchup for them so this is this is shaping up okay as long as they can play indoors i think there's a good chance that they they can make the super bowl but um i I, they gotta overcome this outdoor thing and if only they could do that but i don't think the nfl would take lambo off the field for a playoff game i don't they would not like they would either it would be unprecedented there's and they would not do it so and the weather's gonna be so bad paul we're gonna (laughs) have to do something about the weather oh green bay fans would revolt so much if that happened be like this is packer weather and they're moving the game because they want to play in it uh yeah they they absolutely would Uh, Packer fans are smarter than you think they know (laughs) they know what's happening they know (laughs) They just saw the Jacksonville Minnesota game. Like they're all, they already know. I'm definitely putting up. Yeah, we got to get indoors. I'm definitely putting up a Twitter poll on this, so we will find out because those are scientific. Um, I I just want it floated right now because I obviously I'm being a little tongue in cheek, but I'm not being a hundred percent tongue in cheek. (laughs) I think there is a world where this happens because who really gives? Who really cares if there's no fans where this game is played? Best bet's probably the the uh, the neutral site playoff idea, which I think is still on the table. And that would be in a uh, climate-controlled environment. So I do wonder if it comes down to them voting on that just because COVID has gotten much, much worse, which maybe is happening, um, if the Packers are a secret vote in favor of that happening, that they should maybe think oh, yeah. about that. Um TV networks are, I mean, Lambo is like this majestic, you know, hallowed ground or whatever, but TV networks don't want to be broadcasting these games in the middle of, of January weather in Wisconsin any, either. That's a good point. And also Lambo with no fans in it in January is a different animal. Like without, with empty stadium, with an empty stadium and snow falling, who cares? Like it's not, it's not. That's fun. a parking lot, a mall parking lot. Yeah. You don't want to play a playoff game there. Yeah, so I'm being a little less tongue in cheek the more I talk about yeah, this, you, and you now kind of turn me around on it. Actually, <laughs> starting I'm starting to really wonder what scenario we can make this happen. You know, who knows? Maybe the weather's just great in January, and it's like an unseasonable 45 degrees, and they play that football game no matter what. But yeah. I, don't I don't know. I don't know. Well, we'll see as Let's we get go. closer. 
Yes, we will, uh, uh, because this team is going to the playoffs. There's no doubt about no it. No doubt about that. Ah, all right. Well, um, before we go, anything to plug this week? Uh, a few things, I suppose. I did, was able to do the Badger game on Saturday. Did the live blog. Had a lot of fun. We'll that be doing that good... again. <laughs> you got a good one for that one. Holy cow. That was great. Big game against Northwestern. A couple undefeated teams. Could be could be to determine it. There's a little bit of dread around the Badger game because all it's – or Badger season. All it's going to take is one more game getting canceled by their – because they have too many COVID cases or the other team does. And every week there's just a – blitz of college football games getting canceled and and one more game is going to keep wisconsin from being eligible for that big 10 title game which is really a bummer uh i I feel like it's a little optimistic to think they're actually going to get through these final four games but um you know we just roll with it and uh it's a good time because the badgers look really good looked really good in their first two games so that's coming up on saturday at jsonline.com um uh, we've been talking bucks a little bit. The draft is Wednesday. Just, uh, of course, they made two really big moves late Monday, early Tuesday. So that stuff is up at jsonline.com. The trades for Drew Holiday and Bogdan Bogdanovich. So fun. Which, uh, we, so fun. <laughs> uh, the team, the team's really so good. Happy. Yeah, the team's awesome. I'm so glad they yeah, did the- that. I expect nothing but dumb moves from the bucks, and they went out and actually got guys. <laughs> so good for them. Took a, so a big swing here. They they said to themselves, "We've got a superstar and not enough else." So we're gonna we're gonna refashion some things pretty dramatically. Very, it, it is good. It's one of the rare moments in time where uh, some moves that Bucks fans are like, "Oh, it'd be great if they traded for Drew Holiday," or "Great if they signed Bogdanovich," and then they actually happened. You know, like they made sense and they actually happened. It's yep. it's weird when that works. Certainly doesn't happen in the NFL. Nope. Uh, but my. My series on the 2010 Packers uh, just posted another one that was the second Vikings game. It was the last game of Brad Childress's head coaching tenure. Uh, total domination over over Minnesota. That's a fun read if you're into that sort of thing. And uh, and yeah, that's about it. A nice. little bit extra going on this week. Yeah, cool. Good times. So, so much Wisconsin sports news. Nice to have. That's um, true. I will have a piece up at APC later this week. Shepard Express column should be out um, either right now or early in the morning tomorrow. Um, I am a little behind due to work and personal reasons, but um, I I am going to do, do a bit of a deep dive into a, um, a punting decision that the Packers made in that game that was ruled by Edge Sports, who calculates these things as the worst coaching decision of the week. And uh, wow, it was it was a totally normal punt. So <laughs> I'm uh, going to do a deep dive just to try and figure out why what the sabermetric argument is for actually going for it there, and uh, and, and just see if I can put any logic to it, but I have not done that yet because, I, like I said, I'm super behind. We have the mini pod later this week, too, where we go over all the Colts players that might matter, all the Packers players that might matter against a really good defense. Um, uh, one name to keep an eye on if he's going to be fully healthy is Mo Ali Cox, who was the best tight end in the league until he got hurt um, and is starting to get healthier, so um, keep an eye on that. And I'll uh, be back for that later. So um, until next week, enjoy the game. Years to go.